Take your Bible with me and turn to Titus this morning. Chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 through 4. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to us, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. There are a few reasons we're headed to Titus this morning. And we'll work our way through this short letter. I think over the next probably six weeks, three chapters will break off a little bit each week. Um, might do some overlapping here because the letter is relatively short. But a few reasons why we're headed here uh, over the next few weeks. The first reason is this. It's September of 2022, and we started in John's Gospel in September of 2020. Uh, we've been there for a while, and we've taken a few breaks here and there, a few periodic short breaks to explore other things in Scripture. But as we've been working through John's Gospel for two years now, we find that John is really dense. John is a really dense letter, or a really dense Gospel, and requires a lot of intense thought and, and understanding. And so this is a little bit of an opportunity to come up for air from from John's gospel, because Titus is very straightforward and can be taken at face value. Write what's in front of us is write what is being said to us, and we can talk about it, and you can look at it, and you can see it right before your eyes. So like I said, a few times we've moved away. A, a couple of times earlier this year, we explored the, the, the Jesus's words, the implications that Jesus's words, I am the light of the world, have on our family relationships. And after Easter, we considered implications of Jesus calling himself the resurrection and the life. What does that mean for our day-to-day Christian life? So we want to take a brief break here at the beginning of the academic year to look together at this letter that Paul writes to Titus uh, and explore what we're going to say is a very different genre than John's gospel. And so that's really kind of the second reason as well. John's gospel is narrative. John's gospel tells a story, and there are large chunks of what we would call discourse, where Jesus is speaking to a group of people. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the crowds. Um, And sometimes they're interacting, but sometimes Jesus is just telling them truth. Titus represents then a very different genre. it's It's a very different way of delivering God's word to us. Titus is, in fact, a personal letter. But the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, uh, the name of the letter. The Apostle Paul writes this directly to a younger man that he is discipling named Titus. And Titus is one of three letters of its kind in the New Testament. Uh, Letters we would often refer to as epistles in the New Testament. The epistles, but there are three specific letters here uh, called pastoral epistles. And the two that come right before Titus are 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Paul writes those to a man named Timothy, who he is also discipling and who is serving churches in at the time of those letters in Ephesus. Titus is in fact in Crete, and we learn about that a little bit throughout the, throughout the letter. 
But the two other pastoral letters being 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, these three letters that make up pastoral epistles, they're not exactly like another epistle, like another letter like Ephesians or Galatians. They're a little bit different in the fact that these are written to a specific person, one specific individual. They're written to this person in order that they might be instructed and encouraged and built up in the task that lays before them. The uh, the epistles such as Ephesians or Galatians, those are written to groups of people, specific churches, the church in Ephesus or the church in Galatia. And those are written so that the church might know how to conduct itself with one another. There are other letters in the New Testament as well. These ones are not written by, by, uh, by Paul, like 1 Peter, which is written by Peter, or 1 John, which is written by John. And those letters, and uh, both of those letters, uh, John who's up in the booth now, and Blaze have chosen to preach through those letters when they get a chance. Those books are written to several churches in a particular region. Not just one church or one individual, but several churches in a particular region. And so instead of getting the title of who it is addressed to, the author actually becomes the title in those instances. First Peter, the author is Peter. Titus, though, the recipient is Titus. So this letter, Titus, is from one man, the Apostle Paul, to another man, Titus, a pastor who finds himself ministering to churches in Crete. And it's good to be reading different genres of scripture and understand how they operate. So you and I, we we personally probably gravitate to a particular genre of scripture. Maybe you love the Psalms, or maybe you love wisdom literature, or maybe you love Paul. Or maybe you love the gospel narratives. Or maybe you love historical accounts. We sort of gravitate as people to different genres of scripture, but it's important for us to find ourselves in many different genres of scripture or in all of the genres of scripture as often as we are as able. That's why we put a Bible reading plan in front of you at the beginning of each year. And if you didn't pick one of those up, there's a handful on the table back there still. We read through the Bible in the academic year as a church. I think this is the third year we've done it because it forces us to get out of the books that we would tend to gravitate to and move towards some of the things that aren't exactly maybe as familiar to us. So we want to spend time in the whole Bible, not just the bits that interest us or are easy for us or that we most identify with. The third reason I want to go to Titus is that our membership will vote to install a new elder in in October. John Bumgarner is an elder candidate right now and has been put before our, our congregation as a potential elder that the current elders want to bring to the church uh, in order to, to affirm him in his, in his candidacy as an elder. And remember, I said this a moment ago, but Titus is a pastoral epistle. Titus is a pastoral epistle. And in the New Testament, the word pastor and elder are used interchangeably. Those two words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And a pastor isn't just a guy who collects the paycheck. He isn't just a guy who has a seminary degree. Many of you call me pastor or call Mark pastor, but our other elder, Blaze, doesn't collect a paycheck. He's what we would call a lay elder. Um, But Blaze is an elder. And the New Testament wouldn't hesitate to, if Buffalo City Church received a letter from an apostle in the New Testament, wouldn't hesitate to consider or call Blaze a pastor as well. Just because he doesn't get his paycheck or make his living here doesn't mean that he isn't considered 
a pastor. Blaze is in fact one of the pastors of Buffalo City Church. And so a pastor elder is someone who shepherds a particular group of people or flock. So John Bumgarner has aspired to be a shepherd of the flock at Buffalo City Church. He's gone through a training process that the elders have laid before him. He submitted himself to the training of the current elders for the past four years. And now the elders have brought John before our membership in order that we might recognize him for the ministry of pastor elder at Buffalo City Church. And so this is Paul's vision. And next week we'll unpack this a little bit as we look at the rest of chapter 1. And chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And really the whole book, honestly, as well as the, uh, as well as the other pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, unpack the vision for identifying those who desire to shepherd the members of a particular local church and how to train, they set a, a good example for how to train those men and appoint them for the task. Unfortunately, Paul's vision in many churches in our modern era has been uh, has been misunderstood or uh, or misconstrued. Commonly, in modern evangelical churches, men are selected for the office of elder not based on their Christian character or conduct, which we will see is the primary the primary rubric for appointing men for the task of elder. They don't see it based on Christian character or conduct or teaching ability or calling to shepherd a group of people. Rather, they are selected for the task based on the fact that no one else cares to do it or that they have acumen in the business world, or their experience serves, they have experience serving on boards or committees. But this is not the vision that the, the New Testament sets forward for appointing elders. Elders are men of high character and high uh, biblical con- conduct that uh, desire to shepherd a group of people in a flock uh, that is in a particular location. One does not earn the office of elder through external, outside, or worldly accolades, but through being discipled and trained by men who are already serving as pastor elders, as in the case of Titus and Paul, and they are recognized as a pastor or elder by the congregation to which they have been called. And so Titus, as a, uh, uh, going through Titus as a congregation will remind us of what we're doing come October 16th as a membership at Buffalo City Church. A man has been identified as aspiring to be a shepherd and trained as such, and the next step is to recognize him together as the body of Christ. That's the third reason. The fourth reason we're going to this short letter uh, right now is that, uh, that studying Titus together will do this for us. It will give us a reminder of the conduct that is a step with God's good design. What does it look like to live as a Christian in the world? What does it look like? We need continual reminders of the conduct that is in step with God's good design. I think the pivotal verse in Titus comes right at the beginning of chapter 2 in verse 1. So if, you're, if you have your Bible in front of you, look over at Titus chapter 2 verse 1 or scroll down on your phone. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is a command that Paul gives to Titus. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, what does that mean? I think when we read that, I think it naturally, we, we natu- our natural inclination is to say, Paul wants Timothy to teach sound doctrine. And the answer is, yes, that's true, but it's, it's not less than that, but it's absolutely more than that. But he doesn't say teach sound doctrine. He says teach what accords 
with sound doctrine. Paul wants Titus to instruct those in his care that in the conduct that accompanies sound doctrine. Now, the word doctrine is a word that we don't often use in our vocabulary, and sometimes we don't like it because it sounds a bit stuffy or rigid. But sound doctrine is just a phrase that means true statements about Christianity. Teach those in your care to live in line with true statements about who Jesus is. Titus knows this sound doctrine. He's been trained by Paul. He's been trained by others in a proper understanding of the Christian faith. And Paul knows that when we believe, or what we believe, shapes how we live. And he knows that true and right beliefs lead to true and right conduct. We need these reminders. Are our lives reflective of sound doctrine? Are our lives in line with true statements about Christian uh, or Christian faith? That is to say, do we practice what we preach? Do we say we believe one thing and live like we believe something else? Or do those things come together? We should ask every time we study a passage of Scripture and are led into, are, and are led into sound doctrine, What does this mean for how I live? Paul wants Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And we need these continual reminders of what conduct is that is in step with God's good design. So those are four reasons. Those are four reasons why we're going to spend some time together in this short letter. And so this morning, I just want to look at those first four verses that Paul writes to Titus. And there are two simple ideas that emerge. We're introduced to two people. Paul introduces himself, and then he introduces us to the letter's recipient, Titus. And so we're just going to look at those two people and what is said about each of those individuals. So these two simple ideas will guide our time together this morning. The first thing is this, Paul's confident calling. Paul's confident calling. And secondly, we'll see Paul and Titus's common faith. The first three verses are devoted to Paul introducing himself, and so that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. The first four verses in this, you probably have this heading in your Bible if you're reading the ESV like I am, and I think most translations uh, have just right at the top, it says greeting. Now, that's not inspired, but it helps us to understand that this is a greeting, and then it ends at the end of verse four. Paul introduces himself again as the letter writer and Titus as the letter's recipient. Uh, We might be tempted to skim over these greetings when we get to them. They're pretty formulaic. If you read any of uh, Paul's other letters, even even, uh, letters that are addressed to churches and not just individuals, you'll see a very similar formula to what Paul writes here. So if you open up your Bible this week and read the book of Ephesians, or if you open up the, 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 your Bible this re- week and read, uh, and read Philippians, you'll see a very similar, a very similar greeting. But even though we might be tempted to skip over these greetings, we shouldn't, because they give us important information, both about the purpose of the letter and the person or people the letter is written to. 
And we must remember, you and I, we have to remember that these letters, these words that are written before us this morning had particular person or people in mind when they were written. You are not the first recipient of this letter. Paul wrote this letter to Titus. The Holy Spirit saw fit to preserve it in order that we might be encouraged, in order that we might be built up, in order that our minds might be renewed as we read it a a couple thousand years later. We must remember that they had a person or group of people in mind. A letter like this is for us, but not for us first. And Titus was a real guy. He was laboring for the gospel in Crete when Paul wrote this letter to him. And Titus had fears. He had uncertainties. He had joys. He had struggle. And Titus faced threats, both from inside and outside the churches that he was ministering to. He was a man, and he needed encouragement. He needed instruction. He was relatively young. He needed a word fit for the season he found himself in. Titus is in many ways like you and I. We find ourselves here this morning, a particular set of circumstances around us, things going on in our lives, and we need encouragement. We need God's word to come to us. Additionally, Paul was a real guy as well. Paul writes a big percentage of the New Testament. We know this to be true, but because this is the case, we get a really good look at Paul throughout these letters. His joys, his struggles, we see frustration, we see encouragement. So we must not come to a letter like this and ask first, what is this saying to me? Because it's not first to you and it's not first to me. It's first to Titus and it's first from Paul. A real man and a real man. And so we must begin there. So we meet Paul in the first three verses. In no uncertain terms, he tells us about his calling. Now, when I say calling, I mean something more concrete than the way that we often use that word. We often talk about our vocation as our calling or any station of life. Say like, uh, I'm called to be a dad or I'm called to be, you know, I pick a thing. Sometimes we refer to our vocation as calling, but Paul had a direct encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road. Jesus knocked Paul off his horse and Paul's life went from murdering Christians to making them. That was exactly what happened. His sole purpose was to bring all he knew to Christ. And just a moment ago, he was breathing murder out against those very people. So Paul starts out by saying that he is a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul starts out by giving us two descriptors of himself. Servant and Apostle. Our translators, if you're reading the ESV again like I am, Paul said, or the, our translators opt for the word servant. But the word is better translated here, slave. We read the word servant like the household implements from Beauty and the Beast. That's what we think about. Happy-go-lucky forks. And we read, we read the word slave like slavery in the American South. But none of these are the way that Paul was intending this to, be, to come across to us. We're importing some other understandings. One word is too whimsical and one word is too corrupt. What Paul is saying that is that he is bound to God's will. When he says a servant of God, he is bound to God's will. His will is out of the picture. He is bound to God's will. He does not operate according to his own desires, but according to God's. 
And he writes to Titus as one who serves the living God. And Paul says that he is an apostle. This is a very specific calling. This is a very specific calling. The word apostle means sent one. And the New Testament is clear that an apostle is sent directly by the resurrected Jesus, by the resurrected Christ. Therefore, we don't have apostles in this sense today. Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road and was sent by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentile or to the people who are non-Jewish. The New Testament is then loaded with teaching about the apostles. And since the Holy Spirit inspired them, we benefit from their teaching today, like we're doing right now as we look at this letter. So Paul is a servant of God, one who is holy and fully bound to God's will and is not acting on his own will. And he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent directly by Jesus Christ. Those are the stations which Paul holds. And these statuses, Paul tells us, have a purpose. If you look after the comma there, and what he says, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, comma, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. He gives us maybe we could call a mission statement. These offices have a purpose and they're carried out in this way. First, Paul is called as a servant and apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect. The first thing we can learn from this is that God uses people to bring about faith in others. God uses people to bring about faith in others. Many of your own stories include faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who spoke truth to you, who spoke the gospel to you, and you heard, and in you was established faith, and you believed in Jesus Christ. You trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You repented of that sin, and you moved away from it. And you trusted Jesus wholly to remove it from you. God uses people to bring about faith in others. Paul acknowledges this. He sees this as the case. God uses people to accomplish his purposes. God, or Paul knew that God had set Paul himself apart in order that the faith of God's elect would be established and matured. Paul's aim was to preach the gospel in order that those God chose would come to faith. And we see that word elect here in verse 1. The word elect just simply means choose. What does Paul mean by God's elect? He simply means that those who respond to the gospel in repentance and faith do so because God chose them before the foundation of the world. Paul clarifies this in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6. He says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, we see that word and we sometimes squirm a little bit, but some mistakenly say that God elects or chooses us, then we are no longer responsible for our sin. The New Testament does not teach this in any way, shape, or form. Men and women are totally responsible for their sin, and until they repent and believe in Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is an act of the will. 
Others say that if God elects and chooses us, why would we ever share the gospel? Why would we care to tell others about who Jesus is? Won't God just take care of it? The New Testament doesn't teach this either. And Paul's purpose here is bent towards proclaiming the gospel with extreme diligence. This letter would not exist if that were true. This letter that Paul writes to Titus would not be true if he just said, well, God will just take care of it. God used Paul and uses us as faithful witnesses to to the cross of Christ to bring men and women to faith. Apart from faith, we cannot be joined to Christ. And and apart from being joined to Christ, we cannot bear the fruit of the Christian life, which is commanded to us in the New Testament. If none of that quite jives in your mind, that's okay, because it's a mystery. God designed it that way, and it's good. God designed it this way. He chooses before the foundation of the world, and it is an act of will to come to Jesus by faith and trust him. We think of the word mystery. When God designs things in ways that we don't understand, we think of it as a mystery. But in the 21st century, we think more of mysteries like Sherlock Holmes thinks of mysteries as things to be solved. But a mystery in ancient times, in the way that Paul would have used this word, and the way that the ancient world would have used this word, is this is true in the Bible. It simply means a hidden truth. It's a truth that we can't wrap our minds around, but it's a truth nonetheless. Paul's purpose is to call chosen men and women to saving faith. This purpose in itself is an act of faith. Paul's purpose in and of itself is an act of faith. And for each and every one of us who shares the gospel with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, it is an act of faith. Because we're not sure how it works. We labor sharing the gospel like Paul to call those around us to repentance and faith, but we don't exactly know how it all works. So the first thing Paul says, the first part of Paul's mission statement as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ is for the sake of the faith of God's elect, that that faith might be established and it might be mature. And the second thing that he says, we see in the second half of verse 1. For the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Now I think when Paul states the second part of this purpose, he's actually revealing to us a bunch of what he's going to talk about throughout the rest of the letter. For the sake of their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Now Paul is famous for sort of these run-on sentences, but we can kind of take each of those little phrases Uh, one by one. If you have your Bible in front of you, if you don't, open it back up. But if you do do right now, quickly go back to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now back up to uh, chapter 2, verse 1 again. We read this earlier, but again. But as for you, teach what accords with 
sound doctrine. What is the sound doctrine that Paul or Paul wants Titus to teach the things that accord with it? That was a terrible sentence. What is, what is the sound doctrine that needs to be understood in order that they might, the, those in Crete, those in those churches, might live godly lives? It's in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The grace of God appearing, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly nights in this present age, waiting for a blessed hope that appearing of the glory of, the God and, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Sound doctrine, right there. That's it. How do we live now? That's what the letter's about. How do we live? What is Titus to teach? Godly character and conduct that flows from chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. When Christians are immature in the gospel, when they're immature in what is unpacked for us in verses 11 through 14 in chapter 2 of the letter to Titus, when we don't know that, we don't live godly lives. Paul's purpose is to fight spiritual immaturity, to fight spiritual ignorance. Look at that. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Friends, you may think that sound doctrine is for pastor elders or super Christians to read about and study about and talk about. That's false. You're wrong. Paul has all believers in view here. All believers, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, not just an upper echelon, not just an upper crust, not just a bunch of ivory tower theologians with fountain pens, all believers, everyone who has been chosen by God and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't care about what the Bible actually says, you will not live a godly life. We must devote ourselves to the knowledge of the truth through personal reading and study of scripture, through weekly attendance of the church to hear the preaching of God's word, through continued and open conversation about God's word with other believers, the knowledge of biblical truth leads to godly living. Those who are ignorant to the Bible and do not devote themselves to sound doctrine cannot, cannot, it's not will not or won't, or it's cannot live godly lives. They can talk like it, but their lives will give evidence against it. They will be like those to whom Titus is sent. Those in Crete, we get a lot of fun um, descriptors. Like in verse 12, they're easy, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Or in verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Our lives must flow from our understanding of sound doctrine. And there's so much good stuff here. We could go on forever, but I don't think you'd like me to do that. So um, let, we're only through verse one. Let's get through verses two and three here quickly. I'm going to point out a couple of things for you to look at. The first is Paul's calling is in hope that God will fulfill his promises. Right at the beginning of verse two. So we've got these Stations that Paul fills, these offices, servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
for the sake of the faith of God's elect um, and so in their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul's mission statement. In hope of eternal life. Now he's talking about the, the engine, what's driving this thing. What's driving him is the hope that God will fulfill his promises. And he says it here. Which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And we use the word hope like wishful. Well, I certainly hope that happens. I certainly hope the Vikings beat the Packers this afternoon. We say that. But I have no reason to, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Paul knows what's going to happen. He knows. beyond This word hope, certainty. There's so much certainty behind it. Why? Because God never lies. He fulfills his promises to his people. He carries them out. He doesn't shift around and make... He, doesn't, he never lies. Before time began, Paul says, God promised eternal life for those who are joined to Christ by faith. It's not wishful thinking. It's total certainty. Paul's calling is in hope that God will fulfill his promises. Second thing that we see here, the way in which Paul's calling is carried out. And he says the way in which it's carried out is through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of our God and Savior. Preaching, or this word could be translated proclamation, is a vital act in the life of the church. That includes the preaching like you're hearing right now from the pulpit, but it also includes simple proclamation of the gospel between friends, family members, co-workers, etc. The preaching isn't limited to the person standing behind the pulpit. It is a task given to every believer to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. To take the good news and to proclaim it with our lips to those who have yet to believe. The proclamation of the gospel to all peoples is what Paul has in view here. Paul preaches, yes, he stands in front of groups of people and gives instruction according to God's word. But he also, through the way that he lives and the things that he says, in a room with two, one, two, three other people, or in a room with hundreds, his life is continually. Get, uh, making proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ in Him crucified. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ in Him crucified. This is why we preach through books of the Bible. This is why on Sunday mornings we get up in front and walk through Scripture, verse by verse, or idea by idea. We walk through passages of Scripture. Because like John said yesterday, when you put your eyes on the speaker, you're not putting your eyes on the person up here, you're putting your eyes down on the page. The one who is speaking is the Holy Spirit. He's using his word to make clear to us about what God wants to reveal to us as a group of people. I don't want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to see what God is revealing to us through the Bible. Much of modern preaching looks more like a TED talk about how to have a successful life or be happy. We want to know God and we want to know him as revealed through his word. That's why we're here. That's why we preach. That's why Paul preaches. 
the preaching Paul has in view is in step with his mission. He exists for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. The thoughts of the preacher are not what you should hear. Rather, you should hear more clearly the thoughts of God that are revealed in the book sitting in your lap or on the app on your phone or however you're looking at it. So Paul introduces himself in this way. We'll leave it there. Look down then to verse 4. We see Paul's confident calling first, but now we see Paul and Titus's common faith. We already talked about this a little bit, but the question is, who is Titus? Titus was actually converted. He came to saving faith in Jesus Christ under the ministry of Paul. Titus then was discipled by Paul and is clearly one of the closest people to Paul in the New Testament. Second, maybe only to Timothy, the, the two letters preceding Titus are written. He's mentioned in 2 Corinthians. He's mentioned in Galatians. Titus, is, Titus delivered 1 Corinthians to Corinth. And he was sent to report on the status of the church in Corinth. And now Titus is in Crete. And he has a specific mission that we're going to study out in this letter further. But maybe the most important thing that we can know about Titus right here from verse 4 is that he's not Jewish. That he is not Jewish. Why does that matter? He's a Greek. He's Gentile by birth. Therefore, Paul and Titus do not have a common heritage. They don't have a common background. He was not born into the Jewish faith. But, because the gospel has been opened up to all peoples, he has been brought in. And now, even has a position where he is actively shepherding men and women around him in the churches in Crete. Paul and Titus do not have a common heritage. But look at how Paul addresses Titus. He says, my true child in a common faith. My true child in a common faith. From this statement, we can see one similarity and one difference. The similarity is this. Paul and Titus have a common faith. For Paul, and this is true time and time again in Paul's letters, over and over again in the New Testament, Background is not what links people together. Not their heritage, not their last name, not their achievements, not their awards, not their political positions, not their marital status, etc. Rather, are you joined to Christ by faith? That's what they have in common. And this needs to be understood. Titus is one of Paul's most trusted friends and students. But they share nothing in common in their past. Nothing. But they are both joined by faith to Christ. And this opens up every avenue for Paul. Every avenue. They are not different. They share the most important thing in common. Their faith. Second. The difference. The difference is this, and we glean this from verse 4. When Paul says, my true child. This is going to be a theme throughout this letter. Paul is seasoned. Titus needs instruction. Paul is down the road farther and now is pouring himself into Titus like he does with Timothy and with others. We're going to see this. This is going to be important. It's God's good design for older men and women. It's God's good design that they would devote themselves to God's word, thereby maturing and growing in godliness 
so that they might disciple younger men and younger women. This is God's design. This is how the church operates. We'll see this throughout, evidenced in Paul and Titus's relationship and stated clearly in chapter 2, right after that, right after that hinge verse in verse 1. He's going to address older women and older men. Titus and Paul were unified, both sharing the status of those who are in Christ. But Paul knew that Titus needed instruction according with the godly wisdom Paul had. And Paul had accumulated throughout his life. And so Paul freely passes it along, not worrying about his time or energy. This was Paul's first priority. And friends, if you're seasoned in this room, this should be of first and utmost importance to you as well. Okay. So we're through the first three and a half verses. Let me give you some quick hitting application. We'll sort of work backwards. Let me just ask that, what I just stated, let me just ask that to you in a question form. Older men, are you discipling younger men? Older women, are you discipling younger women? Are we, I'm not going to define older or younger here, but there's maturity involved, there's wisdom involved, there's long-standing relationship and devotion to God's word involved. Those who do not have that experience, those who do not have that type, of, that type of road behind them, are you investing in those people? If the answer is no, then why not? If you've devoted yourself in years and years of studying God's word, why aren't you actively prioritizing passing it along? It's not for you. God did not bring you to the position that you are in your life for you. He brought it so that you might, like Paul, move that along so that the faith in others might be established and grown and matured. And by discipling, I don't mean something complicated. I just mean investing in younger folks spiritually. If you have a Bible, you don't have to be some master or some guru. If you have a Bible and you ask a younger man, if you're a man and a younger woman, if you're a woman to read the Bible with you, if you have insight, great. But if you don't, just start there. Just start there. Again, this will come out throughout this book because the con- because is the context for this letter. But I'm convinced that this is an area where we, Buffalo City Church, we can grow as a church. If you're in a seasoned position in life, start investing in discipling younger men if you're a man and younger women if you're a woman. There's a bit too much of a generational divide in the world we live in and we cannot mirror the world in that. Paul knew no such divide. He saw a common faith in a young man who needed spiritual investment, and he went for it. Second thing, like Paul, are we devoted, to, devoted as individuals who make up the church to seeing the faith of others established and grown? Are we ready to share the gospel with those who do not believe? Are we ready to share the gospel with those who do believe so that they might grow in that belief? Are we ready to apply the truth of the gospel to our lives and to the lives of others that we may live godly lives? Thirdly, are we maturing in God's word? Spending time in scripture personally with others under preaching, growing in understanding of the truth so that we might live godly lives? Consider those things this week. You'll find most of those questions in the community group discussion guide. 
Spend time as a community group talking about those things. Spend time with other people. If you're not involved in a community group, talking about those things. If you're not in a community group, find believers who want to talk about these things. Finally, look down at the second half of verse 4. I hope your Bible's still open. Paul writes, Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. This half of this verse could be its own sermon, but I want you to go with this greeting. Grace was the common Greek greeting. Peace was the common Hebrew greeting. These things in this letter are married together, and Paul does this in almost every letter that he writes. But they're married together in a real tangible, practical way because the man who was writing was a Jew and the man who was receiving was a Greek. Showing a unified front. Showing a common faith. Grace is the gift of salvation and God's gift of being renewed in our understanding of that salvation day by day. Peace is the objective status we have before God as those who are in Christ and the internal reality of our life with Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in in Jesus. Like Paul, we realize with great confidence that by the grace of God, we have been brought into God's family and carry out the works of God, living godly lives and proclaiming that all men, women, boys, and girls can have peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, and we thank you for the the truth that's embedded even in this simple greeting from the letter that one man, seasoned, mature, wrote to another man who needed instruction. God, would we, as those who are in Christ, not hesitate this week to speak truth to one another? Would we not hesitate this week to reach out in order that we might do spiritual good to those we come in contact with? God, would we see what we have in common in this room for those who are in Christ? Would we see that more clearly than what makes us different? We sometimes look at generations and we don't understand how people make decisions or we don't understand how things, things have transpired in the way they have for particular people or groups of people. God, would we look around this room, especially seasoned men, seasoned women, and take a look at the things that they, we have in common with those who are younger and less mature. God, would our lives be continually poured out for one another in every way that we can think. God, would you, through your word, through your spirit this week, inspire that in us. God, and as we go from this place, would we rejoice greatly as those who have been chosen by God and have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If there are those in this room who do not know what that means, God, would you stir in them through your Holy Spirit to understand, to seek out, to turn to someone on their left and right to ask more about what that means. God, would you change us? Would you transform us? God, would you send us into the world ready to live godly lives and proclaim the truth of who you are? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.